This episode is brought to you by CEP Compression Australia. CEP Compression Apparel gives the user more energy, greater endurance, and enhanced performance during activities. For a discount at CEP, use the following code online, local legends in running. Welcome to the Local Legends in Running podcast, where you hear the stories of local legends in the Australian running community that you've simply always wanted to hear. Today in Season 2, Episode 8, I interview a Chukamayama runner, coach and podcaster, Brady Trellfall. If you're out there in the running community listening to this podcast and don't know the Inside Running podcast or Brady Trellfall, I'd be very surprised. A long-term idol and inspiration to me and the running community in this country, it was a real pleasure to have Brady on this show. He delves into the background and behind the scenes of the Inside Running podcast itself, his own running and training methods, coaching, fathering, husbanding, teaching, and multiple facets of the sport as it sits in this country. As that list suggests, Brady is a very busy man who juggles his week-to-week life fairly successfully. So it was also insightful to hear how he does so, but also what has been the real challenges with these aspects over the years. So as always, relax and tune in to hear from one of Australia's biggest running personalities and influencers, Brady Trevor. Training age is like four years too. Like he hasn't been running for long. He's made like it wasn't like he was a superstar when he first started off with those guys either. Like he his improvement was pretty quick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Hey mate, let's make an official start here. So welcome to the local legends in running podcast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to being on the, uh, this side of the microphone and having a chat about running for the next little bit. <laughs> And we just discussed the school holidays. You and I are both teachers. So how has today looked and the last, well, you, this is week one for you, week two for me. Yeah, uh, the weekend. So we just come off the Easter weekend. I've got a, a three-year-old named Hudson and a uh, one-year-old named Olivia. And I was just saying off air that back when I was a school teacher pre-kids, it was a lot easier and a bit more relaxing. Whereas Easter time, there's a lot of energy and um, just getting to different family occasions is probably the hardest thing, trying to make sure that we see everyone and I think when you've got young kids um, it's pretty important that the relatives love catching up with them at special times of the year so I'm glad it's Tuesday this is the day where they were both back into daycare and um, yeah feeling feeling good and I'm glad it's behind us. Yeah yeah me too the wife works full-time and the son in daycare so why not do a podcast? 
and we're here, yeah. we're here now. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Eleventh of April too, by the way, Tuesday after the Easter long weekend. And mate, I just thought of you uh, the other day because the stall Easter carnival ran across the weekend too, and you've been a part of that. You've won it twice down there. And was that the sixteen hundred meter event? Yeah, it was. It was a. It's called the Herb Hederman Invitation Mile. So, um, yeah, it's got good experience at this time of the year. Ten years it was between the wins. So, I like to do it in two thousand and twenty two and two thousand and twelve. Um, I think it's kind of special because there's not many people who are still in the sport kind of 10 years after. And I, I probably ran that race four years before I actually won it as well. So, um, yeah, it's always got a special time in my heart this time of the year and uh, fond memories. And some people love pro handicap running and some people hate it. Mm. My two co-hosts on the Inside Running podcast um, don't really rate it too highly, but I think it's <laughs> just another great aspect of our sport um and an entertainment factor and i was just thinking that yesterday as well like i um flicked over to watch the afl game afterwards and it was uh you know who was it geelong and hawthorne and even the fact that like five minutes before that game started they were still or they mentioned the store gift and who the winners were and i thought that's very rare that the afl is going to read out results from another sport and i don't think they do it in any other sport so i'm like that's the significance that 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 meat has on the Australian sporting landscape. And um, yeah, I tune in every Easter Monday and have a bit of a watch of it. And don't think I'll be there in the future, maybe getting a bit old for that, but um, it was good to get back there last year and to get another win. And how does that middle distance event actually sort of compare to the the sprinting event, which is the main, it's it's the main thing, isn't it there? Yeah, that's the main draw card, the um, the two gifts, the male and the female one, and they equal the prize money now for the females, which is a great thing as well. So that's where the big money is. I think 40000 for the winner, 60000 for Jeez. the whole of um, the finalists. Like they and they only put six in the final, which is quite interesting. So they run the semifinals and only the winner gets through. Like it's very cutthroat trying to make the stall gift final and the amount of history there as well. So that's where all the attention is. And then the mile, they kind of, it's the only distance event um, Well, they've added the women's 1K, which was also pretty amazing to watch yesterday and some superstars there. We've kind of like Lyndon Hall and Jess Hull and Abby Caldwell and um, Claudia Hollingsworth got the win, which was pretty amazing to see. Yes, yes. Um, the, way, the way that race unfolded was, yeah, very dramatic kind of thing. So um, the mile that I'm talking about and I've won a couple of times used to be like the only uh, distance event in the television um package so that the event would go all weekend but that kind of put all the main events in this kind of two hours to um go to tv so that's why that mile kind of has a bit of significance there and um it's just funny how it connects with the the general sporting public as well like i had when i won last year i think i said on our show like i had people that i hadn't heard from since like high school like messaging me saying like well done for your win on store. I had a beautiful handicap. Athletically, it was yeah. nothing special at all. Hadn't heard from him when my kids were born. Um, you know, got married, all these kind of things. But just like the significance of having an event in the mainstream media um, was quite cool. And even yesterday, I had people, you know, sending me messages saying, hey, are you racing at store today? What time's your race on? Here I am sitting at um in at home in Atukamoama, just um, put my feet up. But yeah, it's amazing uh, this time of the year, the kind of attention it gets. It's great to see the publicity. And the other event on has been the Australian Track and Field Champs just the other week too, up in Brisbane, away from Victoria, where you live, Achuka Moama, quite a distance from there. But some great results from Jess Hull, Cameron Myers, mashing records, Mm -hmm. Cal Davies 
local man, Brisbane man, winning the 15 and 5K. What do you think of that event? Yeah, we're pretty contrasting the crowds compared to our um, store, what we are just talking about. Like it's, it's sometimes hard to watch because that stadium looks so big in Brisbane as well. Like it it's is such massive, a hard, yeah, 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 hard stadium to fill. So I think you could have three or 4,000 there and probably still empty. So um, the hype around the events um, atmosphere-wise didn't look like it was there, but it was really interesting. Like the three or four examples you just put there as well, Cat Bissett, you know, she won three in a row, fastest time she's ran on Australian soil for the 800 metres. I thought that mm. that performance was um, pretty amazing as well. You know, Jess Hull's a, the absolute superstar of our sport at the moment, isn't she? Like very, the way she carries herself, the way she talks to the media, um, the way she races. Like she could have just sat there for the first 3K of that 5K and just kicked it home with 2K yeah. to go. Yeah. But to put everyone to the sword yeah. 200 metres in and just go, no, I'm just going to make this. I'm going to go for, a, you know, a few sub 15 minute kind of run. Um, I think we're watching a pretty special athlete in our generation and probably that whole female distance running from the marathon down to the 800 is just so oh, it's amazing dominant. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You could really, you could go from the 8, 15, 3K, 5K, 10K, or maybe not the 10K because the qualifying's so hard to kind of see someone there at a major championships, but um, yeah, good event. And then I thought the men's races were interesting because we kind of, lacked that superstar yeah, which made missing. it yeah yeah which just kind of made the spectacle quite interesting and cal davis really took took advantage of it and um you know to get two wins the double at that level's pretty special and he's kind of i guess put his name on the radar now because he was probably that next peg below um and he kind of yeah made the most of that op- opportunity whereas i think there's guys like uh, Matty Ramsden, Jack Bruce, the Queenslander as well, who probably, that was a good opportunity for them yeah, to really stamp, him, their, right? yeah. Yeah, stamp their authority on that and go, you know what, I've always been around that second, third, fourth. I'm going to grab one of these. I know Jack Bruce won the, um, he won the 3K a couple of years ago, the national yeah. title, but I reckon they would have been, yeah, really eyeing their chances with the likes of like the Stewies and the um, Joy Edwards and, um, you know, those kind of guys out but then a 16-year-old rocks up and, and takes a pace and nearly wins the thing as well. Yeah, second so, place, Cam Myers. Yeah, and he looked amazing. Like, it almost looked like he still had plenty of running in. He just kind of got a bit boxed in. And, um, yeah, he's a very smooth mover. And an interesting one, it's going to be very, uh, you know, interesting to see where he goes the next couple of years, if he goes over to college or if he signs a deal straight out of high school. Because um, I think there's going to be some people throwing some money at him. And it'd be interesting to see what's going to be best for his like long-term development. Yeah. What do you make of those Inga Bridgson comparisons? Do you like, like in any sport, a comparison to like a current athlete or do you like them to shine in their own way? Yeah, it's an interesting one, but I think it's always going to happen. And it doesn't matter what sport it is. Like I follow the AFL down here and a lot of people are comparing uh, Nick Dacos to like Chris Judd kind of thing. And I think it's going to happen. And I think we need, the attention so that's going to bring attention comparing him to a olympic gold medalist and if he follows that same trajectory as um jacob did it's going to make a headline make a story i think it's more about who's he got supporting him to protect him from you know not letting all this stuff get into his head and not influencing how he how he races or potentially overtrains and all those kind of things because just needs to be careful that he's still, you know, hopefully in the sport in 10 years' time, not just still smashing it in 12 months' time but then out of the sport again. 
Yeah, and the thing too is it's from the ACT, not from Victoria itself. So, like, what, what's the talk like down there in general, considering where he is? Brad Croker is a, a man from the ACT. Does he know a yeah. bit about him or have any connection to Cameron? Yeah, he knows a bit about him. And I think, you know, ACT, they're, they're very, in a way, a bit underrated as well because you've got Dick Telford there and you've got the, you know, Leanne Pompiani's coming out of there at the moment, yeah. Jai Edwards. I know um, his name escaped. Is it Riley McGowan who won the National 800 metre? He comes out of there as well. So, like, kind of small, smaller, I guess, compared to a Sydney or a Melbourne. But you'd probably argue there's more talent coming out of Canberra at the moment than there is Sydney. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's kind of – he's got some good support around him there. And obviously you're not going to get to that level. Do you run 337, I think it was? I like, think it, yeah, around 337. Yeah, like yeah. He's, he's already running like – it's not just like he's a good junior anymore. He's just – he's a good athlete now. Like it's – and the fact that he's 16. So – um, whatever they've done to get into that level is should also be celebrated as it is. And yeah, it's going to be a real interesting one to watch in the next three or four years because he's just a uh, just a freak. Yeah, it is. And I coach in the GPS competition in Brisbane amongst the elite private schools and running at a low 350, you can be a standout some years, you know, 50 to 100 metres ahead of the pack at times. Yep. 338, it's just, it's next level, isn't it? It certainly is. Like it's, yeah, it blows my mind. Like there's, um, we're going to have the Vic Milers meets down here and, you know, a 348, a 350, 352s, probably getting you in the A race and you kind of, you know, you used to be pretty stoked with a kind of performance <laughs> like that, but now it's, yeah, now it's nothing like the 16 year olds just doing it. Yeah. And dropping that 10, 15 seconds post school is a difficult thing, isn't it? But he's already mm, there. Yeah. Anyway, mate, um, we'll get into some more formalities, but before we start, it's a real pleasure and a treat to have you on here. You've been a, you've been an idol and role model for me for years, you know, five five or six years of the Inside Running podcast. Is that right? Yeah, I think we, uh, well, thanks for the kind words, firstly. Um, I think we started, I should know this, we started in 2018, I think, building up to the uh, Berlin Marathon. Um, 2018? Yeah, it was, I think. Jeez, I should know those facts off the top of my head, but we've been going for 284 episodes last night were recorded, so that's a weekly show for 284 weeks consistently, haven't missed a week. So, um, yeah, it's great to know that people like you listen and and it's weird sometimes because you sit here like I'm in, like we've got this little bungalow in our backyard and, um, you know, I sit down here with, with Skype on and my microphone and you record it and you send it to the world and you don't, you'd know the same vibes. Like you don't often yeah. see yeah. Who, who actually listens and until you hear some of the stories and you, you bumped into people. Um, Bathurst was really good, the World Cross Country champs, like actually seeing listeners and hearing their stories about what the show means to them. Um, it's quite special because there's a lot of, you look at our download numbers and you look at the stories you hear back and it's a very, very tiny percentage of those like anecdotal, um, you know, opinions about the show that you actually hear. So yeah, it's good to, good to be still on the airways after all this time. Yeah. I'm sure you've looked through like locationally where these listeners are coming from and uh, it can be quite remarkable overseas yeah. in countries you'd never think of. So Never underestimate the reach that you and, uh, you know, Moose and Brady and all anyone involved in the podcast has had. It, it Truly, you've shaped running in this country for many years. And uh, I'm an avid listener. I often get in trouble listening to you guys too much from the wife. It's, um, <laughs> the headphones are often in the ears. Yeah, it's cool to know. Thank you. And mate, um, let's get a bit, you know, about you. I want to focus today more so about you as an athlete, but the podcast will inevitably come up. So just talk to us about, firstly, Echuca Moama. 
I'm confused by that. I see it hyphenated, slashed. I've seen, is it north, Moama of the river, Achuka south? How does that area work? Yeah, so the Murray River runs through our town and the Murray River is obviously the um, the border of Victoria and New South Wales. So there's uh, Echuca is set up on the Victorian side and Moama is set up on the New South Wales side. We very much live like we're the one town with a river going through the middle of it. Um, and it wasn't until COVID hit and all the different states put in their restrictions that it really felt weird that... Um, you know, we, we, it wasn't great for our town, to be honest, because it kind of divided us in a situation when we're all very much together. Um, and then, you know, there's little things like, you know, you can have different, you can have the Victorian number plates on your car and the police aren't going to give you a hard time if you live in New South Wales. And little things like that, I think there's a lot of, I'm sure they do, that there's, there's some laws there, but um, there's just little things like we just live simply like we're, we're the one town and, yeah, uh, Echuca's got about 12,000 population and Moama's about seven or 8,000 and just, yeah, a lot of like shared resources, whereas, you know, the hospital's located in Echuca and, um, you know, we've got two bridges now to be able to cross and, yeah, you kind of just go back and forth as you as you would a normal town, just like, yeah, it feels like, it's just very simple. So so we live in Moama on the New South Wales side, um, so New South Wales residents, but really everything we do is Victorian-based, so um yeah. oh well you know and melbourne's you know two and a half hours whereas sydney's seven hours so we often we always do everything in melbourne um you know things like airports and running races and things like that compared to sydney so pretty unique it sounds more complicated than it actually is um it's just a town <laughs> with a river going through it and it's not until the state government um you know want to shut the borders to keep covid cases out that it becomes a complicated issue Yes, yeah, so a pretty basic question. What, what, why are you actually there? Why do you live there and where were you born? Yeah, so I was Bendigo born and bred, which is about 100 yeah. k's south of Echuca. Um, I was, yeah, living there, all my family there, and I went to uni there to do a teaching degree. And in my fourth year, um, there was a primary school in Echuca. Um, I was just doing after school care, actually, at a school in Bendigo, and then just walked in one day and there was a a man in a suit there and asked if I was Brady Trailful. And I was just like, yes, thinking I was in a lot of trouble because I wasn't sure why there was a man in a suit at after school care. And he kind of um, yeah pulled me aside and, and asked if I wanted to work at a school in Echuca for the second half of my oh, uh, fourth right. year of university. So, and at this stage it was like, yeah, I kind of hadn't finished uni, but there's a thing called permission to teach where they kind of fast track you in your fourth year to be able to teach a bit earlier and um, I was kind of sitting in lectures in my fourth year, hearing about how hard it is to get a job and, you know, these assignments on writing resumes and mock interviews and all these kind of things. And this guy kind of said, "We'd um, you heard some good stuff and they wanted a, a young male teacher to kind of help out at this school in Echuca for the rest of the year. So jumped at that opportunity, just um, drove the hour up and back every day and, yeah, really learn a lot. You'd know yourself being a teacher, like once you actually get into the classrooms and and do the job you kind of learn much more than when you're at uni doing assignments and things like that and pretty much just just fell for the community fell for the town um really enjoyed it and then yeah the the kind of agreement was that if i helped this guy out and did this six months he'd then look after me for a job in bendigo and um kind of got to the end of the year and the principal at the school in the truth kind of said do you want to stick around and just pretty much said yes and that was 11, 12 years ago. I've been here ever since and, mm. um, you know, met my wife here and got a lot of connections in the local community now. Not sure if 
I'll call myself a local now. I'm not sure how the locals um, enjoy that, how many years you've got to be in a town to be a local, but it very much feels like home now. And, um, you know, Bendigo is probably 120,000 people and I just like living in a smaller town. And um, yeah, it's not too small that you know everyone, but at the same time, it's it's small enough that just got that real good community vibe and, um, yeah, just just love the place. And I know uh, Moose gives you a bit of heckle on the podcast about teaching, uh, both to, to you and Brad, not being a real job and that kind of thing. But I know you've dropped back a few hours, uh, three days, I think now. But um, what, you, what are you actually teaching? And, and is it a high school, primary, state school? I want to hear about it. I'm a teacher. Tell me about it. Yeah. So at the, I've had some different roles over the last kind of four or five years. So when I first got into teaching, I just loved it and wanted to kind of climb that ladder and um, get into leadership and all those kind of things. So stuck around that one school I was talking about for five years, um, had like a small leadership role. And then I got offered a position at another small school about 20 minutes out of Echuca as the deputy principal. Um, it had about, a, had a, I think we had 38 students when I started there and and really enjoyed the challenge of um, that role. And I'm not sure if you've ever worked in small schools, but yeah, it's, just, it's just hard because you've got to do so much just because you don't have the staff. So, um, you know, you're, you're a classroom teacher, Can't you're hide. also the deputy and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, are you also doing mowing the lawns and stuff like that? Like, it's just <laughs> like, you feel like you're just doing seven or eight jobs. So I did that for um, four years. And then I kind of started the podcast and started doing a bit of coaching and then just took one day one day off, dropped it down to four days and just really enjoyed that that day off. And um, then I pretty much took a, a year's leave without pay and thought I'll just have a go at this and see if we can grow the podcast and grow the coaching business to be at least something that could um, sustain like my pay for, for two or three days if I didn't have to teach. Mm. And then just did a bit of relief teaching and now I'm back. We've got a bit of a teacher shortage in, in Victoria, this kind of area where I am at the moment. Um, so I was just doing relief teaching and a bit of like the tutoring program that the Victorian government rolled out to catch up the kids who were, who fell behind during COVID, but now I'm back in the classroom yeah, on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, teaching grade four. So, um, teaching a bit of everything and yeah, quite a bit, bit harder working than I have been the last couple of years, the relief teaching and the, um, and the tutoring program was pretty chilled out, pretty nice, but I'm back doing all those other things like, you know, liaison and with parents and, um, you know, going to meetings and all those kind of things that I haven't done for a couple of years. So a bit of a challenge, but yeah, good to be back in the classroom. Yeah. And what's the community actually like there, uh, Brody? Because like I heard on a few podcasts ago, you're talking about uh, even a, a challenge you put out to the teachers, I think about running a lap or something like that. And um, you had you had a staff member head out there who who talked a bit of game and and set a time or something like that, and you got a few more to go out. But um, that's just one story about how you've kind of promoted running in the area. Like, what's the average Joe blogs in a Chukamaima? Yeah, it's a great little. I don't know. I feel like when you're into sport in the small towns, you just get like a lot more attention. Like even even the boys, oh, Bendigo is pretty good with like their media attention that we get for the running down there, but. Um, you know, I can just do little fun runs down here and kind of be in the yeah. local paper and, and they're real, it really is cool. And then everyone kind of knows the races you've done and everyone's kind of interested in your running journey and things like that, which has led to like working with a few different brands locally, you know, around some sponsorship stuff and, um, everyone just, they just want to see people do their best. And it's, it's, I'm sure, I guess, because we know so much about, um, athletes in the town, cause we do get that media attention. It makes it 
like a good, just a good feel and a good vibe around the town that people actually have bought into your story and want to see you do well. And it's probably really evident recently with um, the Australian cricketer, Todd Murphy, the spinner. He He's recently mm. played his first um, test series over in India. So he's just from around the corner in Moama. He went to that school I started working at um, actually when I first moved to town and like you just see the the papers and the comments on Facebook and stuff like that. Like everyone's just so stoked that we've got a kid from Moama playing um, for Australian cricket and we've got some yeah, good so AFL good. players that have come out of here, like Clayton Oliver, um, Ollie Wines, who won the Brownlow a couple of years ago. Like for a town of 20,000 people, we really, um, you know, probably bat above our average from the sporting talent that comes out of here. And just lastly on you, so, you know, within your week, you're, you're running, you're podcasting, you're teaching, you're husbanding, you're fathering. Uh, what else are you doing to fill time? Is there any time for even one or two things you can think of for the listeners that you do to buy time other than those, that big list? <laughs> coaching, coaching as well. I'm not sure if you said yes, coaching, but like, yes, yeah, coaching, Sorry, yeah, coaching takes up. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it's a bit of a challenge and, and it's not so much the time's a challenge, but it's probably just trying to jump around the different headspaces like we try to schedule our week as a family that you when you're a dad and you're being a dad and you're doing being a dad well like your phone's not going off you're not writing back to emails or you're not going to jump on a podcast in 20 minutes time or anything like that so um and when i'm teaching it's kind of like well that i try to nail all the things podcast and coaching related on a monday and tuesday and then when i'm at work wednesday thursday friday it's like um, you know, your phone's in the phone's in the desk and you're trying to, you know, keep your brain hundred percent on the teaching job. And then, um, you know, weekends trying to spend as much time with the kids and help out around the home. So I've noticed in the last couple of years, like just how important it is to kind of schedule things in. Um, so, and even to like, sometimes I'm shocking at writing back to emails and messages and things like that, just because I'm trying to block, you know, time out to this is when I write back to that thing and I'll block that in for a Monday or Tuesday kind of thing, not do, you know, just little two-minute jobs when I should be focused on something else. So it's busy, um, but I think we're all super busy. And the balance, like, I'm never going to get the balance right. Like, I think I'll I'll always just bite off a bit more than I can chew and just try to survive. And um, there's definitely, I don't want to sit on here and make it sound like I've got it all nailed because I definitely don't. Um, and just trying to, yeah, trying to do our best and, and just learning from what works and what doesn't work and, um, going for there with the weekly structure. Yes. I'll just stick with you on this for the moment, uh, because I had a bit of a balancing, uh, section later on, but what what Mm. do you find as the real hard things, the challenges in the week with all those things going on? Is it literally just being present in each of them individually? Is that, is that the greatest difficulty? Yeah, that is because the mind often often wanders. Even the other day, like I was at work and, um, you know, I just checked my phone at lunchtime and there was a message from Zaka who um, does like our advertising and partnerships with the podcast and it was about our who's going to be our partner at the live show up at the Gold Coast Marathon in kind of like three months' time and talking about what the deal looks like and can we confirm it and what the package is going to be like and the venue and all these kind of things. Like, So you've just kind of opened your phone on a quick 10 minute lunch break. And now all of a sudden you've got all these different things going through your head. And then there's, you know, a knock at the door and there's a nine year old who's, you know, got a blood nose because a footy's hit him in the face out at lunchtime. And you're just like, you just got to jump around. And I think because I'm pretty, pretty calm and I'm pretty flexible and I'm a pretty go with the flow kind of guy. Um, there's probably situations where I could let it stress me, but I kind of just, um, just, yeah, just, just maneuver around the different mind spaces at time. And, um, but yeah, just trying to be present and just staying in the moment and, um, just going from there is probably the biggest challenge as you kind of noted. 
Yeah, great. Hey, let's get to your running achievements and PBs. I found your a list of achievements, so to speak, on your Run to PB website, actually. If you're happy, happy for me to read them out. Yep, go for it. Zach and would have written this, the same yeah, Zach yeah, I was just talking about, so hopefully he's got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go here. So first in the Run Melbourne half, 2016-2017, first Victorian marathon champs, 2016, First Victorian country, 1,500, 5K or 5,000. Third, the Steigen. I think you spoke about that off air, uh, that event anyway, 10K, 2017. Third, a run for the kids, which I know is a big part of what you talk about on the podcast, 2015. Third, Sydney Half Mara, 2014. 13th, you might need to help me with pronunciation here. No, no Bioka Marathon. No Bioka, yep. No Bioka, yep. 2018. And uh, 37th, Berlin Marathon, 2016. Are they all yeah, correct? So you, and is there any that are missing yeah. that you would like to add to that list? That's all correct. But you can tell when we started the business around about 2017, 2018, <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing past then. And I reckon I've had some of my best running since then, Zaka. So um, True. They're, they're probably, yeah, probably I'll run some better PVs, but when we talk about like positions and things like that, yeah, that's probably, um, that they're, I don't think I've been, oh, I won the Hobart and Canberra half marathon since then. So, um, yeah, they're two significant wins, I suppose. Not, not that they're super competitive, but, um, yeah, good, good to get wins in kind of those bigger city races, but yeah, he's, he's done a pretty good job. I guess the, the, the appropriate question here, were any PBs at the time done in those achievements or still exist? No, I don't think so. I think we've, yeah, yeah I've, I've rewritten the five, the 10, the half marathon and, yeah, that marathon one was, I think, did you say 37th at Berlin? I think the next year I was maybe 25th at Berlin and ran a PB, yeah. yeah. So um, they kind of paved the way for the PBs to come. Well, let's get to the PBs. Um, we'll start the 800. I know you probably will cringe a bit at me talking about the 800. It's quite short for you, but um, <laughs> it has come up on the podcast, funny enough, because I think predominantly by the fact that it sits at two minutes, 42 seconds. So you haven't broken two minutes by the looks of that. No, I've broken two minutes heaps. I don't know. Is that from like the start Bendigo, of last year? 2022, January. Yeah. I reckon I that's how long it's been since I've ran an 800 that it wasn't even on the World Athletics website back in the day. So um, I remember breaking two minutes for the first time in maybe 2000 and, oh, 2006, 2007. Um, and then really didn't run one for probably 10 or 15 years. And then last year I had a bit of fun when I was coming back from Melbourne marathon and entered a, an 800 meters and ran that two flat off, not a lot of training. I still don't think I'd go much quicker or any quicker than two at the moment, but um, yeah, that's, that's not my PB. I've definitely ran, I think I ran 150, 156 maybe back in the day. Um, yeah. Pre IIIF profile that is. I love, I love some evidence there with the 156. Would you have it somewhere? I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm just like thinking about it. I'm like, where would it be? Leave it with me. I'll see what I can dig up. Surely it's come up on the Inside Running podcast, the 156. Nah, we don't like it. We don't like 800s. That's the thing. <laughs> it's too, too short for us. Now, the 1500, 353.55, again, a solid time. But um, as we go along the list, I think it improves general, generally. One mile, 415, 3,000, 820, 5,000, 1409. Box Hill, both of these with the 10,000 combined, 29.34. 2019 there too, just before COVID hit November, December. And uh, 10K on the road, Launceston, uh, well-renowned road running race in Australia on the running calendar, 29.48. Uh, 
hope these are all correct by the way 15k which is an odd distance but it's out there 4657 the half mara i saw you out there last year at gold coast you were about 11 minutes ahead of me at 10527 and the mara 21953 so happy to talk us through those from the start there the 1500 2011 that's uh, what 12 years ago yeah, the 15 and the mile were like back when I was younger and would go down and do the track races, a <laughs> big Miles club, things like that. Like, as you can see, like not a lot of like talent. Like I was probably training reasonably hard to kind of run those times and probably got the most I could out of myself to run. Maybe the mile could have been quicker. I think it was a slow tactical race that mile. And then we wound thing, things up at the end there. The 3K would have been similar time, I reckon, like 2000 and, oh, 2010, 2011 kind of thing. So that's kind of but track life in a way or shorter track life. And then, yeah, had a really good patch in 2019, just before COVID hit, like you mentioned, where I ran that, um, the 5k PB and then I ran the 10k at Zatapec at Box Hill that year. So that was cool. I only got lapped by uh, Stewie and Pat Tiernan once, which was good. Yeah, I was going to um, say well-renowned was... for uh, elite. Very, that, that's their very yeah. elite races at Box Hill. Yeah. yeah. And I was just making up the numbers, to be honest. Like it was one of those ones. I probably didn't have a start in that race until I ran that 1409 a couple of weeks before. And then it got myself a position in that race. And um, I'd never been under 30 minutes before. So to like go 29.34 was just like, oh, yeah. just like significantly under. It wasn't like a touch and go one. It's just like, oh, you're well and truly under. And yeah. I knew I was probably going to get under from two or three K to go and could really just enjoy like the crowds on the track, the commentators talking about these boys breaking the Australian record. And here I am kind of like just working off that energy um, to enjoy the race. So, yeah, that was really good. I had ran last year at Launceston 10, I ran 29.25. But for some reason, like the results oh, never right. appeared on the on the profile, which I'm annoyed about because one of my better runs. So I must hit up uh, Richard Welsh down there in Tassie and be like, well, why aren't these results submitted? Yeah, so, I was going to ask you who, so it goes from the race director or event director to somebody? Yeah. Yeah, and I know the guy who does the course, like the certification, he's a listener to the podcast, and I was talking to him, and I'm like, did you guys stuff up? Like, is the cone put in the wrong spot? Like, don't tell me. Is that why we all ran so fast? And um, he was like, no, no, it's all legit. We've signed off on it and given it to the race organiser, but then for some reason it's just never – like, you can go to their website and it's there, but they just never appeared on all our profiles. So um, hopefully one day it does appear there. And is then the, the half – Sorry, just on the 10K there at Lonnie, is that, would you deem that to be the best 10K road race in Australia? Yeah, for sure. For, for the like, elite, that is? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of actually really good for the the guys like me as well because I find it's quite tactical most years. So the last two years, I've been in the lead pack at 5K and like those boys are just jogging and they kick it, kick it home on the way back, whereas they might go through in like 14.45 and they're jogging, but for me, it sets it up perfectly for a 2930. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's really good. Then you kind of get to halfway and you're like, well, I've just kind of got to hold this for a PB. So flat, fast, um, out and back course, only like two turns can get windy. Like if it's windy there, you end up running into a headwind for 5k and having a tail tailwind for 5k. But um, yeah, it's a great event. Great course. I've been down, down there. there. And, yeah. It's, yeah. The course, um, as you mentioned it now, is that sort of a North South road, the main road there? Like yeah, sort of parallel yep. to the river. Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. Yep. yep, you can see the river on the left as you're running out there. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, and it's like a you know, three or four lane highway you're kind of running on that's kind of shut. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, yeah, the half marathon was at Gold Coast, like you mentioned. And same thing, like just 
yeah, been one of those older PBs that I hadn't had the opportunity to to rewrite. And I think it was nearly a, yeah, it was a minute, I think, PB from um, my 66 kind of 20-something I ran previous to that. So it was good to take that off. And then the marathon's still a work in progress, I like to say. Like it's one of those ones when you look at the the five, the 10 and the half, it probably doesn't match up yet. So mm. still trying to um nail one of those ones and get something that's just hopefully, you know, 217, 218, 216 would be nice in the next couple of years if everything goes to plan. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you talk about this, uh, you say lack of talent a bit uh, on the podcast too. Like in your mind, lack yeah. of lack of talent, is that just like speed specifically? Like that real raw speed. If you have that as a four or 800 meter runner as a kid, it's, it's just only in your favor as you develop that endurance over years. But then it's kind of like your peak at the half marathon by looks of all your times. Yeah, I think it's like, you can see it at school as well. You can kind of look at the kids in primary school who can do, because they all pretty much do no training and how they go out to school athletics or the school cross country and, and things like that. So like I was never, I'd never had any like success or, you know, I'd never get picked to be in our top division when we went mm. off to the school cross country or anything like that. And and even when I started, when I was like 16, like I was running like 440 for the 1500 and, you know, 1030 for the, for the 3K and just getting smashed. And it's like, all those times you kind of read out, it's because I've ran consistently for mm. eight to 10 years. Um, so of course I've got to have some kind of athletic talent there, but I think it more comes down to my like resilience to stay injury free. So I can string the training together, um, like the determination to kind of be consistent and kind of do all the work and things like that. And um, yeah, just like running special like that, that you don't have to have that natural talent. You can just put, weeks and weeks that turn into months that turn into years on top of each other. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, these times are achievable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hey, happy to talk to us. You alluded to earlier a few things around where you live and that kind of thing and why you're there, but what uh, it looked like for you as a kid in terms of influences and factors that may have led to you being so passionate about running these days. Yeah. So as I said before, like I, I, I didn't get into it until I was about 16 um, and then, yeah, I kind of played footy as a kid and there's not much of me. So like when everyone went, everyone went through puberty, I kind of didn't and just got like smashed and was spending more time on the bench than I was actually the field. And, um, then I got into skateboarding pretty seriously and then kind of just a bit of a, a bit of a no hope as kind of sport at the time, like not a great environment to be in with kind of like the kids were kind of drinking and smoking and graffiti and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what skateboarding scenes like now, but it was a bit of a rough scene. And my parents probably weren't stoked that I was involved in that scene. And I probably had the, um, the insight at the time to think, yeah, this probably isn't great environment for me to be in. And then my dad was involved in the um, AFL like umpires. He was a central umpire and kind of said, hey, you should come down and do the boundary umpire and you get paid, throw the ball in when it goes out of bounds, easy money. So I went and did that for um, a season and pretty much figured out the system down there was the faster you could run, the better games you'd get to umpire, mm. the more you'd get paid. So um, we'd have training on a Tuesday and Thursday night and I started doing a bit of my own training on like a Wednesday and a Monday night, just like I'm talking like 20 minute jogs. Actually, they're probably pretty much like 3K time trials, you know, like that whole football. Yeah. Yeah. Mentality. Yeah. Pretty much. It's just like just fang everything every night of the week and hopefully it's (laughs) going to make you fitter. So I was doing a bit of that. And then, um, yeah, I just got better. And when I'm saying like better, it's like 
11 minute 3k better it wasn't athletically standard kind of better um and then yeah I'd, I'd win a couple of our kind of umpire time trials and then did that for a couple of years and then my dad's like oh, I know some people who are involved in the athletics club down at um the Bendigo Harriers so he took me down there for training one night and just started with the 1500 and the 800s and the occasional 3k and had a really patient coach a guy called John Burke because I just wanted to do like the 5k and 10k like I looked at the results for like under 18s under 16s and was like oh I could win this stuff easy like no because no one doesn't like it's yeah. a real kind yeah. of weak field and I just wanted to like win races and stuff and he's like no no you need to do the 800 I'm like I don't want to do the 800 like I'll get smashed in the 800 and and he just was really good about like just trying to develop what speed was there. He was always like play the long-term game. We want, to, want you still doing this when you're, you know, 25, not burn out when you're 18, 20 kind of thing. Um, and he was, yeah, a great, a great first junior coach to teach me a lot of lessons in life and to fall in love with that long-term aspect of the sport. And then I just slowly got better and better. Like it was just a really good reward for effort. I'd go down to the Athletics Victoria races and, you know, be in the under 20s and come 10th, 15th kind of thing. Um, maybe sometimes just make the Victorian team to go to the Australian Cross Country Championships. Um, and then you kind of get chucked in the open down here in Victoria, which is pretty competitive and might have been, you know, 60th, 70th in the open races. This is when, you know, Troopy and Mona and Motrin yeah. would pop up yeah. in some of the races and um, like a Shane Nankervis who went to the Com Games back at Melbourne in 2006 for the marathon, like, it was just, I just fell in love with that Athletics Victoria system of these 10 races over the winter season and you represented your club and it's and it's won by kind of Olympians or world cross country representatives or whatever it is and you score points and we'll just look up to those guys um, and just, yeah, it just was a great thing to do every winter and just remember going into some races, it's like, well, I finished 70th last time, I want to be top 65 this time and you're racing 50 year olds and 25 year olds and 30 year olds and just a mix of all ages and abilities and um just loved it from there and i've kind of always loved the road racing and cross-country scene ever since those early days yes what sort of times we putting down say year 12 the back end of your high school time in any events and then who were you training with exactly in those first few years out of school were you coaching anyway what did that time of life look like for running? Yeah. So it was John Burke, the same thing. Like I was, and I remember at the time, I reckon I was 19, 20. I couldn't believe that I was running 70K weeks because I thought that was amazing. To average 10K a day every single day of the week to do 70Ks a week, I thought it was just like the biggest mileage that was ever kind of invented. And I was an absolute hero <laughs> because I was running 70K weeks. Um, I remember in year 12, Think you had to run under 1640 it was it was maybe to go to the state champs for 5k yeah i think it was the state champs to get yeah and i remember just scraping in and running like maybe 1628 or something like that and then i went down to the state champs and was just getting like guys were running 1440 toby rayner was a guy who was uh in my age group and brenton Rowe and another guy called tyson popplestone and um these guys would just absolutely smoke me like i just yeah, I was kind of looking back now, it was kind of lucky I didn't get discouraged and pull out then because, yeah, you'd kind of make these teams, you think, or make these kind of championships, you think you're going all right um, because we didn't really have a much of a running culture in Bendigo then. Like there was maybe one or two other guys, maybe breaking 16 minutes and that was kind of it. Um, so I kind of thought I was pretty good until I'd go to Melbourne and just get smashed. 
Um, but yeah, kind of Berkey, Johnny Burke, who I spoke about before, he was still looking after me and being super patient. And it wasn't really until I moved up to the Chukamoama, um, a guy called Richard Gleisner, he kind of started coaching me by correspondence. He's a 217 marathon guy who lived in Ballarat, but then moved to Bendigo. So a lot of that kind of Monteghetti influence of training um, that, yeah, I kind of used for a long period of time there. And then, then I started to see a bit of an improvement up until, you know, still probably last year as a 34-year-old was my best year of running. Yes. What was the biggest like driver for motivation in the, at that time of year 12 or just after? Like, as you were saying, you were, you were good, but you weren't right at the top. So what was really sort of pushing you to keep running and running? Was it a sense of improvement, enjoyment, or the fact that you knew you were pretty good and you could almost get more out of it to become now, which uh, you, you'd be pretty much up there with the elites of Australia? Yeah, I wouldn't go that far to say elites, but um, yeah, just the, the sub-elite hacks back off the next line. But I didn't want to say semi-elite. Yeah. <laughs> it was, elite. <laughs> yeah. It was just that, yeah, as you said, that I could go and do it and it's like, oh, you're not winning these things, but it's like you're improving every single yeah. time. And I, I had a lot of trust in that process of like, okay, I'm doing – and because – and my coach would tell me, it's like, you're doing, you know, 50, 70 K weeks. He's like, these kids are doing 120, 130 K weeks. Like just wait until you're kind of doing that. So I kind of always had this light at the end of the tunnel and trusted in the coaching process that when I would increase my mileage, when I'd get my long runs out to longer, um, I could, I'd get a reward every season. I'd rock up and I'd be a bit better and a bit better. And then I kind of just trusted in it hundred percent. And then that just kept me in it. And I guess at the same time, it's like, what else was I going to do? I kind of like was committed to it and I was enjoying it. And I had friends around it who were in the same sport and um, yeah, just kind of sucked me in that way. Yeah. So what age then do you think, you know, was it early twenties where you started to feel anywhere a part of that, that sort of front of pack or semi elite shall we call it now uh, as a runner? Was nah, there a, a so pretty event? much. No, I don't think so. Like, so my uni years were like 2006 to 2009, 2010 there. Um, and I was very much still like living the uni lifestyle, going out to drink a bit. Like my training mileage was still pretty low, jumping in some of those like pro races that we're just talking about, the handicap stuff before. Um, it was probably more when I was probably 20, when I started teaching full-time, it become a bit more like routine, probably that 22 through to like 26, that it was like consistently over 100K weeks, um, you know, a heap of long runs when you look at the year as a whole and starting to probably run, you know, top 20 in kind of Athletic Victoria races, which kind of converts to those second tier kind of fun runs, um, you know, maybe a top 10, a top five, if it's kind of weak field. So you know, could jump into those, um, you know, that Sydney half marathon before that you spoke about was pretty, pretty weak field for a race like that. And could have a good day and kind of come third or fifth or maybe scrape into the top 15 at a Gold Coast half and mm -hmm. um, just little things like that. And and when you're taking off time as well, like it's, you're looking at your PBs and going, okay, I was a 72 minute half marathon guy. And now I want to break 70 in a couple of years. And I want to break 69. And then it's like, to now think that I've run 65 when my goal was to run, I remember running the Burnley half marathon on the AV like um, calendar and yeah, running 71, 72 and being stoked with that. So um, to think now it's seven minutes slower than what I'm running is um, kind of cool to look back and reflect on. Yeah. It's a great thing as a runner, Hey, that we can improve for so long of, of course, up to a certain point, but uh, you're in your mid thirties now. 
and it's just year after year of being consistent. So like, where did running sort of sit like priority wise in your early twenties? Like how did it fare before the married life, the family life, um, even before properly working as a teacher, like, and, and, you know, that party scene, as you talk about was there, did that ever take over in any way, the social side or was running always at the forefront? No, so running, I think for me, it's kind of like where it started. I was kind of really into it when I first got into it as a teenager. And then I just wanted to enjoy uni and was working and getting into teaching and things like that. And then once I got into teaching and, um, you know, teaching single or like, you know, I had a couple of girlfriends, which were semi-serious, I suppose, through that age, like running then became like the the number one thing. Um, and you just base your whole weekends around when your long run is and, and when you're going to do your workout and, um, you know, you'd leave work. I just like thinking about these days, like you'd finish work and just be like, all right, I've just got, it's four o'clock and all I have to do now is do my workout. And you'd just be like, whereas now it's just like, I need to get my work done before 7.30 a.m. Yeah. or my workout doesn't get done. Like it's, um, yeah, so it was very much, I, I loved that life balance through those probably that 25 to 30 of, you know, no kids work, you know what you're doing for work and it's manageable and running pretty much, you're almost a full-time athlete and a full-time school teacher because you didn't have any other life stress going on and you could kind of pull that off. Whereas now it's kind of like, I feel like running sometimes and I get jealous because Moose was talking about the other day on the podcast, like trying to prioritize his running as being the important thing in the week. Whereas yeah, heard that, yeah. I'm just like, shit, like I'm just <laughs> trying to get home by 7.30 a.m. and fit in what I can and it's dark and it's like, yeah, which I think sometimes it's like, it's back to that balance before. Like, yes, I could take it more serious, but um you know, family's going to be impacted or work's going to be impacted or, um, and I, I guess last year I kind of learned that I could back off the training a little bit and be a bit underdone and still run at a pretty good level. And it, and it's not as stressful. Like it's, yeah. you know, it might be things like, you know, I, I dialed back my threshold pace. I'd always threshold at 305k pace because that's what pace I'd race a half marathon in. And I just t- dialed it back to 310s, 315s, and just did workouts were fun, workouts were easy. I'd, I'd get out of the car after the warm up and be like, all right, this is good. There's not one bit of stress about this workout because I know I can nail it. And then I'd go to work feeling probably that, you know, I haven't buried myself in training that much that morning. So it then doesn't put me under stress at work, doesn't make me tired for my family and my relationships, things like that. Um, so yeah, I've got better at just making little tweaks to try and make running a bit of a priority. Um, Sundays, it probably still is. Like Sunday in my household, everyone knows it's like long run day. Um, So it kind of takes the priority. But every other time, it's like, what time do you need to get up so you can be come back and and be a dad or a a school teacher or or whatever else it is, yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned Moose talking about it being a priority, and and I'm sure he meant it in a way not to take over. Like he's got a kid now himself. Is he he Mm. married too? Yeah, he's married to Bree. Yep. Yeah, and of course, you know they they really should take the priority as a uh, husband and and dad. But uh, priority in the way that it becomes like routine. Like, have you found in the family and working life these days, and being a bit older with less of that social pressure to be heading out and those kinds of things, making it in some way kind of easier to get out there and run? Yeah, yeah. You you, you make it a priority that way. You definitely prioritize it over, um, you know, socializing and drinking and and things like like our kids are sometimes up at 5 5 30 like it's it's very rare that i'm up later than 
you know, six, quarter past six in the morning. So you just can't do burn the candle at that nighttime end. Otherwise I feel like I'm cooked for a week if I've had a yeah. night out. And when I do say priorities, like it's no one's made me be a school teacher three days a week or, you know, you know, the decisions I've made, but I've made those decisions not with my own running as the um, priority. And that's something that I'd love to be able to do in the next couple of years. And it's something in the past couple of years I did do when I kind of took that leave from work to kind of be like, you know what, I'm going to have this day where I'm going to write programs and I can run at 9am instead of 6am. Um, so yeah, it's trying to just get that juggle correct. And, um, you know, we get jealous, I think, People like me, I get jealous of the pro athletes because they get to train at 9.30am, um, you know, and that's the main thing they get to do in their day. But there'd be components of their life that I'd be like, no way would I want to, I'm, I'm sure some of them aren't making great money. So it's like, I don't think I could live off that kind of money or how's that going to set you up for the future and and those kind of aspects we kind of don't think about. We only think about the good things in their life that, oh, they get to run at 9.30 a.m. It's not in the dark, but it's like, oh, yeah, try living off a sponsor that might pay you 25 grand a year. It's like it's, the quality of life is going to be impacted in that way or or try living out of a suitcase for six months. We always yeah. look at how they travel over the world and you're like, oh, it must be a great life, but it's like, is it a great life? And um yeah, and even I'm sure, you know, some of them probably do want to settle down and have kids, but their athletics is is so important to them at the moment because that's kind of their career. And they might look at us and go, oh, how cool would that be to have a wife and, and have two kids and own a house and be settled in yeah. life and things like that. So we often compare ourselves to other people, not only looking at the good stuff in their life, not the whole picture. Yeah, it's important, I think, to recognize that uh, those things can probably rub off in a good way and benefit mm. your running. It can go both ways, right? You know, also in a negative manner. But I think um, we've got to look at it optimistically. And speaking of training, let's get to your training week. And we we do often hear about it on the podcast week to week. But I want to get the bigger picture uh, for Brady Trailfall, how how you train through the week, the ideologies, the reasons behind what you do, uh, and how it may also kind of differ down in Victoria to Queensland. We generally work off the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday sessions is what we do up here but um what about yourself mate yeah i always used to do that as well pre probably 2018 19 where i went to like two sessions a week so i think it's i think it's very overcomplicated at times like i think my main thing i believe is um with training like is consistency is key like if you want to be a good runner you need to run more how do you run more well you need to run consistently how do you run consistently well you need to almost dial things back a bit so you don't cook yourself so for me in a in a normal kind of like 5k to half marathon training program it's going to look like um you know a threshold or a well I'll, I'll, for, for the sake of the example like a monday is an easy job because you'll probably come off a sunday long run easy with whatever it kind of means for you so that could be moose was just having a conversation yesterday that you know, he might do two by 5K easy jogs or two by half an hour easy jogs. Some people might do 60 minutes in one hit easy jog, but whatever easy looks like for you on a Monday. Tuesday, I think a threshold workout is often something I've been successful with in the past. So it might be um, broken minutes that add up to like 30 minutes. So it could be six by five minutes um, with 90 seconds jog between. And when I say threshold, I'm talking, as I said before, like, thinking about your race pace for half marathon. That's that's my example because my half marathon is close to an hour. But, um, you know, you pace for an hour and then maybe add five, eight seconds to it. 
Um, or and you can do that. Words, sorry, tempo. Sorry, interrupt there. Tempo and uh, and threshold fluidly together is similar concept. Nah, so so I don't. I always go with threshold with that hour pace, and tempo is like a bit a bit slower. So like, yeah, maybe that that hour and a half, kind of two hour or some. I think maybe for me, I use tempo like closer to like the marathon pace kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, so I use the threshold with that that hour pace and then tempo for a bit slower than that. And that could be a tempo session as well. So so for me, that might be, yeah, you know, longer five, six, seven, sometimes even 2K reps, 3K reps, if you want to work with that at threshold. Um, or, you know, you could do a, a 12 or 14K kind of like tempo run. Um, or I find that beneficial as well. Wednesday and Thursday, I'll work off, one of them will be like a medium long run. So it might be like 90 minutes to an hour 45 um, and then the other day will be a recovery day. Depending on what you're doing with your life, I can interchange those. So there's some benefit in doing it on tired legs on the Wednesday. And then there's also benefit in recovering from the Tuesday and then doing it on the Thursday and then hitting your Friday with tired legs. So then I think on the Friday, if you can do something at that five to seven to maybe 10K race effort for you um, to just keep, you know, it's not all out speed work because I think that's kind of risky. And I'm talking to like the general population here of people who've got jobs, got families, got kids, probably don't need to be doing like 1,500, 3K kind of sprint work, but that 5K to kind of 7 to even 10K work. And that might be, you know, two-minute efforts or 1K reps or sometimes I'll do like 15 by 90 seconds, things like that. Just they're, they're fast, but they're still well in control. Saturday, an easy day, and then Sunday, a long run. Like there's absolutely nothing sexy about that as a week but you're hitting threshold you're hitting some faster stuff you're hitting a long run you're hitting a medium long run you do that for a few months and you're going to be really really fit and um ready ready to race anything from a 5k through to a half marathon yeah so why do you think we do have variety in the week that we do a threshold we do a speed session we do a long run and we don't just jog this is for half marathoners and marathoners right and then just run it say the half or marathon pace as much as we can. How do you, how do you see the benefits of variety for the runner through the week? Yeah, we just work in different systems. Like it's working those different training systems there and trying to get yourself as efficient as possible. Um, and just, I guess, for the example, for the half marathon, like it's good to drop down and do that faster stuff again. So when you do go back to that mm, threshold yeah. or half marathon pace, it feels efficient and it feels easy. Um, and then, the marathon, like a marathon plan would look different than what I just explained there, but that would give you, if you had a marathon coming up and you did what I just said for eight weeks and then you had another eight weeks to build towards your marathon, you'd get to that eight weeks of work being ready to go for the for the marathon block, which would come up there. Yeah, I've just been hearing too, you talking about uh, running a bit more quickly through the week in your jogging. Like how's that going with the with the jogging being a bit quicker? Uh, there's mixed theories out there, you know, to run as slow as possible versus to run quicker with better form. So what do you make of the jogging part of the weekend? And, and also too, this is almost a three-part question now, Brady, is the what you push a bit about not looking at the watch, get rid of the pace, enjoy the run, run to feel. Yeah, so th this is something that's come up a lot and I still don't know the answer to it. Like you look at, I coach people who will be, you know, significantly slower than me and they'll want to do their jogging at the same pace that I do it. And then I know I was talking to um, Croaks last night about Brett Robinson, like Brett Robinson often jogs, you know, that 4.15 to, to 4.30 pace and he's a 2.08 marathoner. And then 
I'm like a 219 marathoner and I'm getting in trouble for running too slow at 430 pace. Like it's, I think it's really, I don't know the answer, but I think for me, it's like we all have this what is easy perception level, which is different. Um, and for me, I, on my easy days, I just love, I don't have case splits on. I just have the overall stopwatch face time showing me how long I've been going for. And I just go out and I listen to my body. And then I just, I, I don't put thought or focus or the only thought and focus is that this is the recovery day. And I'm going to let my body dictate how fast I should be jogging. And sometimes I get home and it's 4.15s. Other times I get home and it's 4.45s. Um, and Croaks will make the point that, you know, you should be going a bit quicker and actually focusing on it and work and have them down at 4.05 or 4.10 or, or something like that. So mixed reviews, for me, I think it's one of the reasons why I've stayed injury-free. Um, but the flip side of that, it's like, yeah, I've stayed injury-free, but why haven't I ran a quicker marathon? Like, is it because I haven't pushed the pace on? Because I've, I've put in the work. Like, I've ran 140K a week average for, for 10 years. Like I've ran, yeah, pretty much a half marathon every day for the last 10 years. And I'm kind of complaining that I don't have strength over the marathon distance. So it's maybe that's a thing, like maybe it's too much slow jogging. Um, but I think we get into our heads where we're, we're set what we feel is easy. And for me, I've done so much jogging at like that 4.30 pace that I think that's easy for me. Because people say they're like, surely that's, Croak's made the comment that he's like, must feel like just a fast like power walk for you because you're you know you're so much fitter than that and you can race so much quicker like that must feel easy but it it feels easy but it doesn't feel like a power walk or ridiculously easy like whereas I think he's done so much work at four minute pace that that's his set easy pace kind of thing so um and I think what we're talking about before that that footy culture like you know, you do everything hard, you do everything fast when you've done been yeah. a footy trainer all yeah. those years. So when they come to running, it's like this is what this is what I want to be feeling in my runs. Whereas I it's a it's it's yeah, it's running training and performance related, but it's also a mental health like cleanse and like a, a de-stress after work or like that one hour that you might get away from phones and kids and meetings and things like that, where it's like I don't want to be pushing the pace looking at my watch. I want to daydream for an hour and just have my heart rate pumping along at 125, 130. So I think it really depends on how we're wired and how we've ran easily in the past dictates our easy pace. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if I've answered the three questions, but <laughs> we had a chat about it. <laughs> and do you think like the, the super shoes have impacted the pace people are running for their jogs or even things like Strava running quickly? across the, these, uh, you know, runs that are meant to be primarily for recovery. Yeah, I think so. Like, and I say it, my town's small and, um, you know, not a lot of runners here, but I'll go for a jog and I'll jog past someone who's running six minute K pace and they're in a pair of alpha flies. And I'm just like, what are you doing wearing that shoe? And I get they're comfortable and it's like, but I've always, I, I had a conversation with my training partner the other day. It's like pre-super shoes, you'd never see, people jogging just like recreational joggers wearing um racing flats so like let's go with like a nike streak which was the nike super shoe before um the vapor fire and the four percent and um the, all the super shoes come onto the scene so whereas now the super shoes the racing performance shoes have made it into recreational running which is which is cool the shoe brands must absolutely love it but at the same time it's giving these people a license to like 
oh, this feels this feels super. I'm going to spend this all my runs and all this time in there. Um, but for me, they just feel clunky. Like, and it probably goes back to the way way we're wired. I only put those shoes on when I do workouts. Um, whereas if someone's just bought them off the shelf at, at Rebel Sports and and seen them as the shoes that Ali and Kipchoge's worn to break two hours, it's like, yeah, and that's yeah. their only experience of running shoes, and it's it's a pretty good experience they're having. Um, I think, yeah, it could be just probably more like lack of education. I'm sure if those people walked into like a specialty running store and went to put those on as their, you know, that's going to be their daily mileage shoe. Um, maybe they talk them out of it. Maybe they talk them into it because it's a good seller. Like it's it's good to sell a pair of $350 shoes, I suppose. But yeah, and then the Strava world is just, you just got to take that with a grain of salt. And, um, you know, you probably... I think sometimes comparing yourselves to elites is dangerous, but at the same time, elites know what they're doing. And if you actually do follow those, you know, the Brett Robinsons, the Jack Rayners, and you look at the pace they jog at, and then you go, well, hang on, look at where's my 10K compared to these guys. I'm going to, yeah, these guys are adding a minute and a half off their half marathon pace for their easy jogs. I'd, you know, do the same maths on your own PBs and see if you're you're following the same lessons that they are. Yeah, yeah. Do you think though, you know, as well as the uh, super shoes, also the, the joggers, the general jogger has improved over the years mm. too. The cushioning has provided us uh, a way to not just perform, but to recover, right? To feel yep. less uh, soreness for days after uh, jogging and competing. So do you think like looking back at the, you know, the marathoners before Brett Robinson, for example, do you think they definitely would have performed at a, at a bit higher level of increased performance having wearing super shoes? Well, you'd like to think so, but then the one example we've got, like Brett's the only guy who has gone quicker, isn't he? He's the only guy that's broken two ten. Yeah, yeah. In a in a, a super shoot era, whereas I think we had five guys do it um, in the old era. So it's just like, why, considering we've got this new equipment and everyone's banging on about how good they are and it's they feel good and stuff, why haven't we seen those performance at the very top end? And then you look at the females and you're like, well, maybe that's why they're all running so well because the because the super shoe kind of era. So, um, but still, you know, Benita's still second, I suppose, to Sinead. Um, but yeah, it's a good point. I think maybe in the next, you know, when we see Jack, maybe take it a bit more serious. You know, you talked about Kai before. Do we see who are our next five marathoners? Like Andy Buchanan, maybe knocking on the door. He's gone through 12. He's only ran two marathons. One of them was a championship race. We probably haven't seen the crop come through yet for men's marathoning to to get get the evidence there we need to see how the super shoes go but those guys it's back to like what you're used to like where your perception is like mona hated the super shoes when they first came out like he's he was so used to because he's you know he was wired away to think the lighter shoe the better and um you know that's why he ran so well and that's what he wanted yeah he's in them now though isn't he he is, yeah, and still running pretty well. It's, it's, it's funny to see him getting around a pair of dragonflies, setting world records on the track. Yeah, still killing it. Hey, mate, let's get to your coaching, right? So run to, run to PB. How, how does that look both uh, in person, but also you do a bit of online coaching. And another connection and interesting story here is, uh, and a shout out for a good mate, Chris Lawrence. The name might not be familiar because you've got yeah, so many yeah, athletes, Chris. but uh, great. Uh, he's a Brisbane man, Brisbane runner. You've coached him on and off for a few years. He's not running too much now, but how does the online coaching go compared to in-person, both from a logistic point of view and what you get out of both? Yeah. So like it started back when 
like I'm sure just being involved in running and then you get people, you know, get into running. There was just constantly people like, oh, can you write me a program for this? Or can you help me this? And it's just like, oh yeah, no worries. Like I'll open up a Excel document and put some things in there and send it to you. And, um, you know, they, it was all very unprofessional. And then 2017, I think it was, um, Matt Davey, Gemma Maney and Zach Newman, we're kind of doing similar stuff where we just have three or four athletes we're doing stuff for. And we kind of, professionalized it and, and started the business and kind of come together to start run to PB. And um, that's when we kind of just made everything more professional. Like we now use final surge, which is a really good app and program where we can kind of set the athletes um, their training for the week. It syncs up with their GPS watches. And then the best function on final surge is it's got a like private like chat function. So I can see their stuff and we can have conversations about how the actual training looks and how it feels and and that kind of like anecdotal stuff that you don't see just in the splits because someone could be really forcing something to hit some splits and it might look good on paper. But until you actually ask an athlete like, hey, could have you done two more reps at that pace or were you hands on your knees or what was the kind of situation? That's the really important thing that we have to do well in the online coaching world um, to be able to make it successful. And that's why it's, because it's all personalized as well. Um, it's why it's different to that kind of cookie cutter, download this 12-week program off the internet and and good luck kind of thing. So a lot of our stuff is fluid. It's flexible flexible where we're having conversations with athletes around what the best day of their week is to do a workout. Like when are they doing the long run? Like I've got heaps of guys who do long runs on Saturdays so they can get to their kids' sport on Sundays. Um, and then really just, you know, we've got 16 coaches now because it's you can only do that well, that communication and that planning and knowing your athletes well if you've got a small um, coach to athlete ratio. So when you said before about Chris, like I'm not sure if you remember him, it's like, of course I remember Chris, like one of the busiest men getting around, Brisbane guy, um, you know, because you've got to only really coach, I think I've got about 11 or 12 people at the moment because I want to do yeah, 11 okay. or 12 programs really, really well because um, otherwise it just doesn't work. So that's why, you know, then Andy became one of our coaches and he's got eight or nine people and he does that really, really well. And then we need to get other coaches involved. And it's kind of, um, it's been good to kind of get different coaches on board this program that just started as the four of us and seeing the kind of reach that we have all over the world now as well. Like we're coaching people in the UK and India and America. And um, yeah, it's been a real, a really good way to give back to the sport in a way because we kind of take for granted how much we know about running because everyone in our circle, we just, everyone knows heaps about running because that's who you socialize with and that's who you talk to. And I think everyone's like moose, but it's not until you get out there into the general public, you're like, oh, okay, we've got to talk about what a stride is or how this easy pace should yeah. be ran. So like on their final surge, it's got in there. This is the pace I want you for the easy jog, the threshold I need you in this zone. And then it's, it's that accountability, checking the final surge and, and talking to them about, you know, moving stuff around and, and going from there. So, um, and the, and the pre pre race stuff's always exciting. Like we've got Boston coming up next Monday, London's the week after that. Canberra's this weekend. Christchurch is also this weekend. So kind of putting those race plans in with athletes today, tomorrow, um, trying to give them the confidence, talking about their nutrition plans. It's, it's the online coaching world has evolved so much in the last couple of years. Um, and there's still, um, room to grow but it's kind of cool what you get with an online coach these days and it's a very special relationship you form uh with the coach and athlete yeah such a diverse job to be in to be able to go online and particularly being in a small town like a chicken down there and to diversify across the country 
He's great. Um, but uh, if we get to the Inside Running podcast, lastly, before some quick questions, are you happy to talk a bit more about how that started and, and, your, and your whole mission around the Inside Running podcast? Yeah, for sure. So we started, or I actually started another podcast, which was called Tell Me Your Tales, where I just kind of do what you do, but like with different walks, people in different walks of life. And um, few of them were runners, few of them were just like local people in my community that I just want to sit down with and talk to for an hour. And Moose and Croaks were both guests on that show. And then um, the Berlin Marathon was coming up and I said, oh, we should do a little side project and do the road to the Berlin Marathon, like a eight week series leading into that. And then we did that, raced Berlin, and then heaps of people just like commented like we should do this like weekly kind of thing and actually create a running podcast out of it. So, um, yeah, we did that. And then this is the time when there was like no running kind of content that you yeah, could you actually – Australian yeah. running. Yeah, yeah. And I'd, I was the guy who would always jog along by myself listening to podcasts <laughs> and, and wanted a running Australian podcast to listen to. So um, kind of created this one and – the kind of rest is history in a way. Like it's just been that consistent grind, really similar to running. Like you just stick at something for a long period of time. And we're very lucky that we have good chemistry between the three of us and have amazing um, patron supporters and and listeners. And um, it's just been, we've had, you know, such an amazing range of like interviewees over the years. So it's just been, yeah, awesome to kind of document Australian distance running and and put it on the map for the people who wanted it there. And now I think, you know, it's been good to see heaps of different running podcasts in Australia pop up now. And I'd like to think that we had a bit of an influence on on that where people have heard ours and thought, oh, I could do something similar. Or I could I sometimes get a bit over. I listen to a few of them and get sick of hearing people recap their week by the end of um in my jogging week. Cause I'm like, yeah. oh, I listen to like four or five podcasts who have just you know, kind of using that same format that we do. But, um, yeah, it's been good to kind of give back to Australian distance running and and kind of create that content. It's almost like you feel the void there for, like, publicism and uh, almost, like, commentary for running that, that wasn't there. And I think, like I started with uh, Brady, I think that it's it's been appreciated by anyone involved in the running community, whether they're a recreational athlete or a coach or simply someone who watches it or is on the news watching channel seven news or whatever and still gift pops up on the news and they're hearing about it a bit more so i think like you've definitely like played a part of that there's like one thing like an outstanding moment or just an idea from the podcast that resonates with you the most what would that be so I love like our our road to series because like because it started with the road to Berlin then that started inside running so then we've done like Sinead and Ali did road to New York when they ran that we have Louis McAfee Jess Stenson and Luke Matthews do like a bit of a side project it was called the long and the short of it for ten weeks we've had yes, a guy from yeah. uh, Norway Christian and Toby yeah. we did road to Valencia last year um, we got road to London going with Sinead and and Ali at the moment so. I like going back to the like the roots of the show, just being like, oh, this is this is kind of cool to like throw back to like this is how it all started, and we're still going to run this as a bit of a like side project, um, and just fond like like I hardly knew Moose and Croaks when we started this, and now they're guys I talk to every single day of the week, and it's just like you know create you know massive relationships with two people just over the internet in a way, just over Skype, and um, yeah, extremely grateful that that the kind of this show's brought us that running scene, but also good relationships to go with it. I want to hear about the, the, the challenges of running such now a prominent podcast out there in the running community. 
what things uh, become difficult in the week. Obviously, I run one myself and, and time is always uh, a challenge. But what's the, the greatest complications for you, Brody? Oh, I find like the consistency, like yesterday was a great example. It's like Easter Monday. It's a public holiday. It's like, you know, we got the fire lit at home, thinking about having a beer, kids are roasting marshmallows. I'm like, oh, I've got to like, I've got to do the podcast tonight. And it's like, it's, it's a fun thing. Once you get going, it's fine. But you're just like, because it's consistently comes out week after week. Like I could share the same story about Christmas time, Easter time, you know, birthday time, week after I got married time, um, busy time at school time. Like it's the hitting, I think people sometimes just expect to see it on Spotify every Wednesday or iTunes or Patreon if you support the show and get it there on a Monday night. Like, but, and because we, we do have that chemistry and it comes across, I think at times, like it's just three blokes having a chat. It feels like it's easy that people don't understand, like, kind of got to get yourself up for it and you've got to be prepared with the show notes and the agenda and the production that then takes, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes afterwards to actually get the show into people's ears. So, um, you know, backing up for doing something for 285, 84 weeks is, is hard. doesn't matter what it is, but being able to put out a quality show, I hope it's a quality show like that is, um, you know, the consistency part of it is, is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. And is that so definitely reassuring having two other blokes there on the microphones to get behind you? If you're not feeling great, I'm not feeling up to it. Often I feel like you're the most optimistic man on there, but, uh, and Brad's often sick too, <laughs> but um, what, what's, what's the biggest driving factor to jump on the microphone week in, week out? Well, you know, people are relying on it. Like there's people who like, <laughs> you know, we might sometimes we'll record on a Tuesday night instead of a Monday night. And it's like, yeah. well, we get messages from our Patreon supporters like, what's, what's <laughs> happened? Where's the show? I'm like, last week was a great example. Jess Hull couldn't do Monday, but she could do Tuesday. So we just put everything back like 24 hours. And then people kind of freaking out because it's in people's routine that when they do their Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday morning run that they expect to, to listen to the podcast. So um, knowing that there's, you know, around about 15 to to 18,000 people every week will listen to the show. Um, you know, you're talking to a guy who lives in a town of 18,000 people. So it freaks me out to think that every single person in my town is the same amount of listeners that we have, um, you know, potentially relying on the show to get them through their run. I, Cause I, that's how I listen to podcasts. If I've got yeah. a good podcast and I'm like, yeah. Hey, this goes for 80 minutes and my runs 80 minutes. I'm like, well, shit, my run's done. It's yeah. like, I'm going to get this for free. I don't even, it's not going to be a challenge at all mentally. So um, I hope people feel like that with the show, but understand that a lot of work does go on behind the scenes and, like we'll often talk for five minutes before we hit record and like the audio of us off air um, might be struggling a bit more with enthusiasm than when I say, right, let's hit record. And even for me, like I might be, I'd change my voice the minute I hit record and I'm up and about I'm 10 out of 10 because it feels, well, you're, you're kind of, you're creating entertainment and you're, you're, you're performing in a way. Like it's very much a, it's who we are as characters, but at the same time, um, you know, Moose, if you ever met Moose in person, it's a different person than what you hear on the podcast. <laughs> Probably, but I think I'm very similar to how I am in, in the real life as on the podcast, but, and Brad's probably similar too, but we have to, 
like there's jokes about me being the almost on the immature one who banks time early in races and does a few, you know, a bit of a fast and loose kind of race style. Whereas I'm actually, I've stuffed up a few races, but more than, more than not, I've had some great races where I've paced them perfectly, but that's the character I play sometimes because I'm like the youngest immature one who can't run the marathons on the show. So <laughs> we've got characters that we need to add a bit of mayonnaise to at times. Um, and that's a challenge because you've got to get up for it. Now, I'm glad you've also gone with the Patreon too and making some money out of it. Of course, uh, making a living out of a podcast would be difficult and people do, but uh, to have that on the side is great and only a reward, I think, for the hard work that uh, you and the guys have done on the podcast. So so well done to all of you. And uh, on that note, what are the plans? Like if we look five years, even 10 years down the track, where do you see this thing going? Good question. It's a really good question because I think if we went back five years, we wouldn't have said what it is today. So I think it's kind of become, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really inside running podcasts. The brand has almost become a bit of a media, the media kind of company. I think if you, if you want to get your weekly hit of running news, I actually can't think of any other place where you'd go to get it. Um, and some of it sometimes boring running news and I just, you know, there's no weekly magazine that comes out. There's a couple of like websites, but they don't go into the detail we do. Um, so I think where the, where the, yeah, the running news outlet of Australian distance running, and we talk about worldwide stuff as well. So I think we'll see um, more of that go on. I often watch like you hear the the footy shows on the radio and watch them on the TV and they've kind of got that, that banter and that kind of reality component that goes with it. And I think because we're all still in the arena racing ourselves, that brings extra content to it. And um, the the storylines will continue to develop. And we've just got such a range of, but there's a lot of, a lot of guests that we've had on for maybe it's a second or third time now. So we've got that network of people that we can hit up. And I like to think that we're a respected um, podcast and respected brand that, the athletes know that if they need a, you know, we request an interview with them, it's worth their time kind of coming on it because of the audience we've got and yeah. um, the kind of yeah reputation that we've got in the running space. So I don't know, like it's podcasts are strange because they're, they're, you know, they're free to listen to. They're not free to make. It takes time and money and, and effort to kind of get them to people. So I'm not sure. We see a lot more stuff like go behind paywalls now um, we're kind of in a good situation where we've got a lot of people who who back us financially on Patreon to then still be able to bring the show out to people who, um, you know, the free-to-air kind of component of it. So I'm not sure what changes in that space. We've kind of touched on before how we run, you know, side shows that are behind the paywalls, um, and it's that constant battle behind, you know, do we, we're kind of documenting, you know, I guess Sinead's injured at the moment, but we we were potentially documenting the Australian record holders build up for London marathon for, for 10 weeks. And some people argue, well, we should give that to everyone because it's such good, valuable audio. But at the same time, it's like, we kind of need to keep the show alive and, and make it because we, we, you know, we, we're not, we've got to take time off work to make the show. We've got to take time away off our families to kind of make the show. So there's yeah. got to be some kind of, um, it's past that stage now where it's just a, a 10 week hobby show. Like it's, it's grown to bigger than that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. There's a lot of stuff, you know, video and TikTok and, and all that different options. But for me, it's like, you just got to stay in your lane and do the, the podcast. Well, like I see 
people come into the space and they've got, you know what it's like, you'd see it yourself. You see the big, mm. you know, the microphone stands and they've got the TikTok going and they've got the, you know, the lights making them look good. And you're just like, yeah, all that stuff's good. And you've just spent five grand, but your podcast is shit. And like <laughs> I'm, I'm skipping like half of it because I just want to hear like the, the main character talk about like there's no chemistry here and it's I want to chuck my phone in the river for half of this stuff. But it's like, so for us, it always comes back to like we need to create a good audio experience um, between the three of us and, and entertain and give people laughs and, and expose them to Australian distance running. Yeah, I think that consistency is key, isn't it? And uh, yep. as someone who's a bit older, myself in my mid-30s, I think I resonate in it by the fact that you've got uh, blokes like yourself and Moose who are in that similar age bracket. But then also uh, Brad into, you know, he's 43, I think, this year, isn't he? So yeah, you get that variety. Yeah, I think so. It's getting old, you know? isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and people say they don't like that. Like we've had, you know, there's that yeah, young 20-age yeah. group that say, oh, they talk about their kids too much. I'm not listening yeah. to it anymore. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, oh, like 90% of our audience are like, oh, now they're talking about their kids. They know the battle I've been dealing with for the last five years, like how hard it is running with your kids. So we're not going to suit anyone. And it's good still rocking up to those, you know, those races and still flogging some of those like younger, you know, young 20-year-old kids who – who still can't keep up with us in a race. So we're getting a bit older, but we're still, um, you know, willing to take them down in a runner race, which is good fun. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, uh, you know, what to do and give you ideas, but I do yeah. like the fact each week, you know, week in, week out, if I've had a bad day, I can jump on there and I'm getting the same thing uh, all mm. the time. So it's, it's, you know, consistency on and off the track now, so to speak, is definitely a key. Mate, I've got about uh, 10 quick questions here, two of which are listener questions. And then some of mine, I think um, with time, being a bit precious today and not, not uh, <laughs> to kick you off, but uh, to make Fire away, quantity, mate. again, not quantity is, is uh, something we want to do here. Okay. The first one comes in from a workmate. His name's Mitch Rosenland and he's asking, he's a, he's a proud father actually. And he runs a lot with a pram at park run. Have you ever done a park run with a pram? And if so, what's your best time? No, I haven't. We do have a running pram, but never actually raced in it. So um, can't tell you there. I reckon I'd be able to roll. 415s, 420s, like it's hard to get going in them. And we got a pretty good run pram, but yeah, I don't think I'd be much under like 23 minutes if I if I had a crack with one. And the thing here is uh, Duncan Markwald, one of my good mates actually from Brisbane, also asked about where you see the podcast in five to 10 years. So we've kind of had that answer, but if you had that in a quick sentence, what would sum up what you just said? Hopefully still alive. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's always we're going to get cancelled for saying something or people are going to get sick of us, but um yeah we often we're same thing like i'm stoked that we got to 2023 as a podcast yeah. so it's, it's like and there's been times where it's like do we just stop at episode 200 like is that a good good stopping point and episode 300 is coming up soon um but yeah and there might you know there's, there could be a situation where one of us doesn't want to do it anymore so it's like do you replace a host or do you end the whole thing and um you know because we're all getting older and maybe running's not going to play that same part and i think it's it is important to answer Duncan's question that we are still involved in the running scene. Like you want people who have got the enthusiasm for the sport to be on the show. So if it got to a stage where someone's like, hey, Injun hasn't ran for two years, it's like, well, do we need to be hearing from them every week kind of thing? So hope we hope we're all still together um, and doing it. Yeah, fantastic. All right, 10 quick questions from me, mate, and they're pretty hard hitting. So hopefully you've got a, an answer for them. Let's, okay. uh, let's start with number one here. Who do you think has been the most influential ever person within the Australian running community, whether it be a coach, a runner, 
any official, who would you pick? Who's had the biggest mark on the sport? Mm, I'd say Steve Monteghetti, just because he's still, he got through to the public. So, like, you can bring up his name with any person in public sport and they yeah. know who Steve yeah. Monteghetti is. Some people could argue Chris Wardlaw, his coach. Um, maybe Deke, you know, his stuff is good. But I think Mona does it does it better than anyone, how he connects to the public. He's still going around to like sportsman's dinners and being the guest mm. speaker and he's still at every fun run. He's still backing up with his performances on the track. Um, so, yeah, Steve Monteghetti for me. All right. What sets, sets aside, sorry, Victorian athletics from, say, Queensland or any other state? Why is it uh, the best? Well, our weather, make, yeah, yeah, our weather makes it easier to train down here yeah. in Victoria, I think. Um, it's people, I think we've got very good buy-in. Melbourne's very like good population. Everything's pretty close together in Melbourne. So they got like four or five really strong clubs in Melbourne and you actually have pretty good buy-in for the country clubs who have to travel, um, to the major races. We saw that last year with, with our team, the Benigo Bats winning the premiership down here and sitting in cars for, you know, two, three hours, um, every kind of second weekend to go to the races. So that culture of racing regularly, and good regular, good regular races that are that are deep. I think it just brings out the best in everyone. That's what you guys don't have up there, mm. like a, a season, a calendar. Like you look at the yeah. big miles club stuff in summer. Box Hill puts on those races, and then Athletics Victoria come out and say, "Hey, here's ten races where you pretty much got to be an Australian rep to, to finish top three. And yeah, if you have a bad day, twenty five yeah. position. So like it's it's yeah. deep. So it's going to bring out the best in everyone. Yeah. All right, most promising up-and-coming junior. Would you throw Cameron Myers or someone like Kai Robinson in the mix there, or even a even a female? Well, let's say Kai is a senior now because he's he's, he's yeah, representing Australia maybe this year. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's on the open yeah. field now, isn't he? So, uh, look, Cordia Hollingsworth. She's had big big expectations on her the last couple of years, and we're starting to see a bit of it. I was very impressed with that race at Stall we were talking about before, mm. like her last fifty meters to change gears like that. And she put girls like Jess Hull, Lyndon Hall, Georgia Griffiths, Abby Caldwell, like she kicked away from people who are great kickers, which only is a good thing when it comes to championship races. So like that's how you you do snag a medal at a major chance. Um, but you can't go past Cab Myers. He's got to be the number one biggest prospect at the moment. Should have bought shares in him a year ago. <laughs> Would be going to the moon at the moment. Okay, mate, you pull out the list, well, online or a list printed out, either way you pick, but it's got all the Australian records on it, right? From let's say 800 metres up to the marathon, both male and female. What is the best record comparative to any world record out there in Australia? Oh, good question. Good question. Which Australian record is the best? Let's oh, I'm gonna talk yeah. through it. So it's not it You've can't be the main there, fifteen hundred. Yeah. Sub three thirty. It's gotta be that, doesn't it? Five K is only just under thirteen. We've seen guys go a lot quicker than that. Stewie's gotta be the closest. The marathons marathons are out of the question because the ladies go so fast and so do the men. The three would be in consideration as well for the for Stewie's three K. Under seven thirty. Yeah, seven twenty-seven. I think, isn't it? What's What's Daniel Coleman's record? That's seven twenty-three, maybe. Yeah, low yes. low seven twenties. Yeah. So we'll give it to Stewie over the um. We'll give it to Stewie fifteen or three, either or. Take your pick. Probably got something wrong, but that's the best I can do off the top of my head. Yeah. All right. We take running away from you, mate. Stripped away altogether. What What physical activity or sport do you think you'd play? Would it be AFL? 
No, because I'm too small. I just <laughs> maybe if I hit the gym for like three years, maybe I'd love to go back and play like reserves AFL for Moama. Like just sit on a wing, put on a few kilos. I'd like to think I've still got some. Actually, I'll go with AFL. Yeah, I'd be terrible, but I'd like to think that I could apply my dedication to running, you know, putting 12 hours a week into running training. Maybe if I did that for footy training and, and bulking up, maybe I could get a get a go in the Moama Magpies reserves team. Speaking of taking away, podcasting or teaching, if you've got one to disappear, which one would you be pick first for the rest of your life to be a podcaster or a teacher? That's a good question because they're so different. Like I still do, like the classroom is much harder than podcasting. Like dealing with, I've got 26 nine-year-olds in my class, um, which comes with, you know, 26 sets of parents and work at a bigger school. So it's a lot of, you know, managing a lot of like different relationships and people, whereas podcasting is like, man, you were just talking for an hour and a bit like this is and talking about stuff we want to talk about. So um, if I had to, I'd give away the teaching just because the podcast is easier, less stressful. All right. The marathon and half marathon as well in that boat. Which one would you do for the rest of your life? Oh, you have to pick? Half marathon every day of the week. I thought it'd be the uh, marathon to bring that time oh, down, Brady. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I've had... I think I've out of my marathons. I think I've done seven and like two of them I've actually felt okay in the last uh, 10K. So there's, there's no enjoyment in 80% of my marathon running, whereas the half marathons, so I've nailed a lot of decent ones and won some decent half marathons over the years. It's such a great event, isn't it? I just think the marathon can take over. How's well, we go back though, isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. And I don't get excited about running half marathons now, but I'm like, oh, I want to do a Boston or a New York or like even the Gold Coast in a couple of months' time. Like still the excitement of marathon running is different, but yeah, executing them is a different different kettle of fish. Mentioning those big races, best or greatest moment as a runner out of all of them? Uh, I'm going to say my 5K PB. Like just I hadn't had a good race in like a year. And I think like I'd kind of written myself off and a lot of people kind of thought, oh, yeah, that guy's, you know, he's just getting older and got other stuff going on in life and stuff. And I just be, be kind of come that kind of like 20th, 25th guy, at like the AV races and thought that's where I was going to be, just try and break 15 minutes for the rest of my life. And then, yeah, kind of um, I got an iron infusion. I didn't realize my iron was so low. Kind of got an iron infusion, moved, started yeah. coaching me, went to – um went to box hill and ran 1409 i'm like oh yeah. this is like i can actually still perform and um run decently so for me that was like a whole that chapter of that you know kind of rough patch i was going through and um disappeared and i kind of looked to the future of a bit more promise all right and the last couple here which i think summarized the whole interview is your greatest moment as a coach and also as a podcaster any that come to mind or to fruition here yeah, there's a young kid who's um his name's Nathan Stote. He lives in Cobram, which is a similar. It's on the Murray River, Victoria, New South Wales, but about uh, an hour from um an hour from Achukamoama. And he was just a guy. He'd rock up to park run in Shepparton, um, you know, run in his soccer long soccer shorts and tank top kind of singlet and um, run 16 minutes. And he was just kind of like flogging himself and kind of was keeping an eye on him and just like, hey, I can help you out with a program if you want. You don't have to pay me, but I can just see that you, you kind of got some of this talent here. And um, that was a couple of years ago. And now he's kind of, he's been top five in a couple of AV cross-country races. He's ran 14, 16, I think, for 5K, under 30 minutes a few times for 10K. 
and just one of those guys that just does every single thing you set him to the T, never questions it, 100% buy into the program and just like a really like diamond in the rough in a way, like just being able to pick it early that this guy is going to be around 221 for the marathon and he'll just only get quicker over the years, um, 66 low for the half. Like just one of those stories that you're like, I'm glad I came into his life and um, mm. like we started this coaching athlete relationship. He runs for the Bendigo team and he's probably one of the reasons why we won that premiership last year, which was the first premiership we'd kind of ever won. So he played a significant part in that as well. And just, yeah, he kind of stands out as it wasn't like, wasn't a paid thing. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, I probably see, see a bit of myself in him when I was a youngster. He's got a lot more talent than I did, but it's just been good to try to nurture that talent and kind of, and he was, he was really, yeah, raw. Like just same thing, like explaining to him what a stride is, explaining to him how to start a Strava account. And like, <laughs> this is when you pay your rego this time of the year. I had no knowledge about the whole running scene. And now he's a guy coming, I think he was fourth at Bundura last year, which is, um, yeah, a great result there. And sorry, did you ask the second part about uh, the podcasting? Pod, yeah, pod, one moment, podcasting. Will that be too hard? Yeah, probably like think guest-wise, like um, – Trying to think. I got to interview Bernard Legat at the Gold Coast, actually. Like that was pretty special, like a live event. Um, he was out to do the Gold Coast Marathon and Morton were his sponsor, but Morton weren't a sponsor of the Gold Coast Marathon. I think they were Endura. So they couldn't do like an event in the um in the expo. So they kind of hired a hired a venue and then wanted to do a live interview. And then we kind of, yeah, got asked to to do the interview. And I was the person who got to interview him in front of a live audience. And, yeah, it's so good. You know, yeah, we're talking about a guy who's been significant in track and field for a huge amount of years. And to think that I get to stand next to him or sit next to him with a microphone and just ask him whatever questions I want for, for an hour was a bit of a pinch yourself kind of moment. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm about to thank you here, mate, but do you have anyone that you'd like to thank as to, why you're sitting here right now as a podcaster on on a podcast? Uh, what's led to to you doing the things that you do to this day? Who's been involved? Who do you have to thank? Ah, uh, it's really the listeners. I think are probably first up. Like if we created the show and we looked at the stats and there was 17 downloads, well, we wouldn't be <laughs> we wouldn't be still going. So the listeners for their um, commitment to listen to this show, it's really important. That's what keeps us coming up. The patron supporters, we see the numbers there as well. Support the show there. Um, my wife for the flexibility and our, our weekly routines and things like that. And, and Moose and Croaks for being on the journey with me, I guess. So, um, and Zach, he's, I, I spoke about him a lot of times, but he's a real kind of like mentor for me. So he's the one of the co-founders of Run to PB. So we bounce off ideas constantly there. And he also works for the podcast as well. So it wouldn't be a day goes past without having some kind of conversation with Zach or about life yeah. or, or, or running or stuff. But he's one of the guys behind the scenes that um, isn't on the mic, but we often, um, yeah, refer to him. So they're the probably significant people in my life that have got us to this point. And I know I pushed you in that direction about the podcast, but surely you got a supportive wife there, which makes this all uh, possible too, hey? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's been good to be able to, um, you know, have the time and just constant flexibility of like, you know, especially when you're, she's returned to work post kids. So it's like your, your days are always changing every year. And it's just, um, yeah, especially night times, like a lot of that, podcast stuff happens after hours. So it means that she's the one putting the kids to bed when I'm down here on Skype talking to Moose and Croaks for an hour and a half. So, um, yeah, she does a heavy lifting in the household when that happens. So a massive thanks to her. 
Well, Brady, we've been sitting here for over an hour and a half. I think only one other guest has uh, breached that time. That was Kai Robinson, my very first episode. And the reason for that was probably because I was so nervous and inexperienced and we kept retaking all those sorts of things. I think that was uh, over two hours. Uh, but certainly you got a gift of the gab, whether you had it to start with or it's developed over uh, the years. It certainly made this interview a whole lot easier. And like I started, mate, the... Uh, influence of the inside running podcast uh, and, and you in general the optimistic attitude is, it's infectious on uh, us out here uh running and in general for our everyday lives so much appreciated uh, thanks ollie and thanks well done uh, what number of episodes this you've been going for a while too oh, like you've been stringing it together seasons, so i think it was yeah. 29 eps in the uh season one i think you are yep. number eight season two so i think we're looking at 37 yeah where were you Most where podcasts were you 37 in most podcasts don't make it, do they? But isn't there some stat that like most yeah. podcasts don't make it past, you know, episode 10 or something yeah, like 10 that? 10 to so, 20, sticky point. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm not sure who our episode number 37 was. I'll see if I can just Google it quickly to tell you. But oh yeah, Brett Coleman, who's, um, that was a really good episode. He nearly died. He got electrocuted when wow. he was out riding his bike one day. So one of the legends, that was July 2018. So um, yeah, it's just just keep plugging away, keep doing it. Appreciate you giving me um some time to kind of share my stories today. Thank you again for your time. No worries, mate. Thank you. Cheers, mate. If you enjoyed listening to this episode or the local legend in running podcast in general, please jump on Spotify, give it a rating. I'd much appreciate it. Thank you.